Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to Star Wars Bookworms. Enjoy. Even men like Talon Card occasionally make mistakes. This is the Chimera. Launch the attack. Time to go to work. You won't let me get killed, will you? Is that what I was supposed to be doing here? I should have brought my lightsaber. I was looking at the web today. Actually, I asked Siri how many days are until the rise of Skywalker, and it's only 84 days away. It's, it's so long and so short at the same time. It's yeah. like... That's the same reaction I had, because I saw the yeah. number, <laughs> and I was thinking with all the, you know, the hype that's going around it now, and kind of the advertising push and all of that, I was thinking, oh, it's just right around the corner. And then I looked it up and I was like, 84? That, sound, that still sounds farther away than it feels. There are so many holidays between now and then. That's the thing that I've been like keeping track of by. We need to get through Halloween and we need to get through Thanksgiving and then it's going to be Star Wars time and the world is going to be different then. <laughs> I like the sound of that. It's going to be Star Wars time. <laughs> Hashtag Star Wars time. But yeah, there's a lot coming up, and they've today they just did the big live stream of uh, Triple Force Friday, or the not Triple Force Friday hasn't happened yet, but they just kind of revealed a lot of the uh, the merch. Yes, a lot of toys. New Jedi Fallen Order uh, dropped today, which was the thing I was most interested in. No big book uh, announcements, if I'm remembering correctly. There was a cool trailer for Resistance Reborn, but it was not a new announcement. No, not a new announcement, but yeah, I saw that trailer, although it's just basically, I had heard on Twitter that there was a trailer, and then I watched the live stream not live, I watched it after it had already recorded, and then I saw the trailer, and I was like, oh, it was just like a quick little, I don't know, it was probably less than 10 seconds, um, with just pictures of Poe and Finn, so. Did I was... they, I watched it afterward, did they do the voiceover during the live stream? Uh, I think there was voiceover. Okay, because I liked that. It wasn't the most elaborate thing in the world. It was, as you said, a few seconds of voice and then the, the images from the movies. But I liked it. I think book trailers, like, they just, they charm me because they remind me of way back when Vector Prime had a trailer with yeah. where Mark Hamill did the voice in it. And I was like, that is amazing. So bringing this one uh, kind of makes it feel connected to the older EU stuff and all the marketing that was around those. So that was really fun. I do not have any investment in toys. I don't know if you want to talk about toys, but it's been funny how the the different Force Fridays, I've reacted differently to them. The first one, I went at midnight to Toys R Us. And now, first of all, Toys R Us doesn't really exist anymore. And second, I'm not planning on buying action figures. I'm not really paying attention to action figures at all. Yeah, yeah, I... I... I know what you mean, and let's let's talk a little bit about some of the stuff that because I am kind of excited about some of the merchandise that they showed. Sure. But I'm kind of in the same boat as you is that I'm not a big collector. Um, but before we do, probably at least should mention because if for anyone that's listening, uh, may notice that um, today we have a guest co-host on the show. I am not Teresa. You are not Teresa. <laughs> Teresa is actually out of town, uh, actually at Disney World, of all places. Uh, so she's hanging out at Disney World, um, but we wanted to bring someone on so we could cover Alphabet Squadron because we hadn't gotten to that book yet. And so I reached out to our good friend Megan. Um, so the voice you are hearing right now is Megan Krause, uh, who is from StarWars.com. So 
have some cred. That's pretty awesome. And um, yeah, so we wanted to have her on to talk about Alphabet Squadron. But before we're going to talk about Alphabet Squadron, we did want to talk about some of the other things going on in the Star Wars world, which right now they just had the big uh, Triple Force Friday uh, live stream. So back to the conversation about some of the toys. Um, I do, I'm not much of a collector at all, but I do like to get things from time to time, especially if uh, a movie is being released. So I kind of get into the whole Force Friday thing, even though I'm not a collector. And I kind of like you did the first Force Friday I did at midnight to add a Toys R Us. In fact, I think I did that for maybe two or three of them. And that's such a good memory. I, I had such a great time doing that. There was never a moment where I was like, this is bad, actually. It's just the changing Star Wars era and the changing lifestyle that I think made me drift away from that a little bit. So was the first Force Friday for The Force Awakens? Yes. Okay. Do you remember like what you what you were excited about getting that first Force Friday? Did you what was like something you purchased? So I purchased a Finn figure. I think I still have him somewhere. I it was very much um a souvenir. So I wanted kind of a symbol of my excitement for the movie and a couple friends and I went to the the local Toys R Us and I mean honestly the first thing I noticed was that there were so many people there who were just scooping toys into their their carts because they were going to resell them and there were so many people ahead of us who just cleared the aisles and I think a lot of them were not there for the like the appreciation of it they were there to get collectible items just to resell. But I don't know. I just know there was some suspicious looking activity going on there. But I got a Finn figure and I really wanted to see what the new Ray stuff would be and had a good time. I don't remember what I got that first time around. I probably got a Lego set, Funko Pop, uh, that type of stuff. I tend, my collecting has really narrowed down to, I like um, getting a Funko Pop occasionally um i, like <laughs> I don't lego. think you're alone in that yeah i like lego a lot so i tend to get a star wars lego set anytime there's a movie coming out and then um and then i like the 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 black series like the the six inch black series yeah those are my favorite either the 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 is it three and three quarters or the yeah. six inch are like my favorite format uh, do you like the, the 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 ones that are like taller and more detailed it depends on the character. I did end up with a couple. I have taller ones for Kylo and Phasma, but I'm not going to go on too long about this, but I just moved, so I have my stuff set up in a different way. They used to be prominently displayed, and when I went to start like looking at what I wanted my new place to look like, they are no longer prominently displayed. What's better for the way I have it now are the smaller figures. I have some... Um, what was the name of the game? It was discontinued. It was a Disney game. It had figures that you place on oh, pedestals. Yeah. Disney Infinity. Yes. I, I love that do game. not own the game, but the figures are they're stylized in a cool way. They look very cartoony with very clear angles and they are a nice size to put on a bookcase that it doesn't look like a huge action figure that dwarfs the books. It looks like a prop that goes along with everything else. So that's actually my favorite format, but I don't think those are really connected to force Friday. Yeah. I actually, I'm looking to my right. I have bookshelves on either side of my podcast desk and I'm looking to my right and there's an Ahsoka Disney infinity fig 
and I look to my left, and there's a Kylo Ren uh, Disney Infinity figure. Those are both so, really good ones. Yeah, I so, have uh, I have Ray and Darth Maul out now. I was really into Disney Infinity um, in that I bought the games. I had a lot of the characters. I didn't have all the characters, but I think I got all the Star Wars characters. And then my son was kind of coming to the age of um, getting into that stuff too, right as I was getting into it. So it helped to have like a five-year-old that was into it as well. So we kind of played it together and, and got a lot of those collectibles. But now over time, like my Obi-Wan Kenobi one, the lightsaber has been broken off. And so, so I decided that I was going to go into the place that we keep them and rescue a few of them before they all got destroyed. So I rescued Ahsoka and Kylo. <laughs> it's an important rescue mission. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, but those were great. And I was so sad when they discontinued that game because they actually had plans to do ones for, I think, uh, Rogue One was right as they canceled it and they never they, did. Them. They were such neat figures. I'm guessing they were a lot more expensive to produce than Funko's because they were, they had the, the interactive bit and the art was a little more, each one was a little different than the other. And in a way Funko's are not right. Yeah. But um, are you excited for anything in particular from the announcement today? I think from today, what I tend to do is I try to get one Lego set um, at least one Funko and then a black series. Um, so I'm going to try to get the Mando black series, the Mandalorian. And then as far as Funko goes, it'll just kind of be whatever, whatever I happen to find at the store that I go to. That's not sold out. I'm not too picky on those. I like the Finn Funko. I think that one looks pretty cool. So maybe I'll try to get him black series or Lego set wise. I don't know. There's not one that really jumps out to me. So maybe the Mandalorian, like Walker. Okay. Lots of good Mandalorian stuff. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for Mandalorian. So, um, and I think that characters that are in armor and helmets look better than regular faced characters because they they don't have to worry about matching the facial features. <laughs> what about you? Anything anything stick out to you? The thing that was interesting to me were some of the t-shirts i like the shirt that has rose on it that was kind of a more simple design um it had like rose herself and it has i don't remember what the word is but it has one word like hope or something mm -hmm. <laughs> and it was one of those distressed t-shirts and i kind of liked that a lot of the t-shirts were a little too movie postery for me when you get a lot of characters together it just starts to look like a poster but the rose one this particular one had some more um it was balanced very nicely so that's something that if i see in a store i might pick it up are you much of a gamer are you excited for jedi fallen order at all Yes, and sort of, <laughs> to answer your two questions. <laughs> so Jedi Fallen Order has had several trailers so far, and the latest one was, I think, the worst. I was looking at this trailer. I, I am excited for the game. Number one, it looks like it's a combat-heavy Star Wars game. I kind of have to buy it, both to like keep up with my work and because that's just so in my wheelhouse but also i'm a little worried that the story is going to be the kind of story we've seen before it reminds me i did a whole article about how much it looks like the jedi knight series and how it would be nice if it was a little more unique from that said the combat looks good the animation looked really good in the gameplay demo that we've seen and the trailers that we've seen so far the latest trailer 
I don't know if you felt this, and I'm curious if you do, but something seemed off about it. The animation seemed almost unfinished. I am excited for things like the Seventh Sister and the Ninth Sister and for the Jedi lore that's going to come from it, but the new trailer was strange and I think kind of knocked a, like, knocked a hole in the confidence I have for what the finished product is going to look like. Did you notice any difference? See, I'm not a big gamer in general. I used to be more back in like the Halo 2 days. <laughs> that was kind of my good, good. my heyday of, of gaming, but I'm a lot I mean, older now. <laughs> heyday of gaming, arguably. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, not necessarily, but it was a peak, that's for sure. Yeah, um, loved, loved that game and played, you know, games around that time. Uh, but, you know, my life has, has come a long way since then and just a lot more uh, going on, a lot more responsibility that I don't have as much time to game. So when I do... Because I do game still occasionally, but it's usually if like a big title comes out that I'm really excited about and I'll play through it, and then I might not pick up my controller again for six months. So um, so I don't think I notice as much as like real gamers when there's something that's off. So for me, I just got excited about the, the fact that there's going to be a new Star Wars game that has a campaign for me to play through. That's really okay. what I'm excited about, and um, and I love the Jedi I, I love anyone that knows me knows, you know, that's kind of my favorite part about Star Wars is the lore and the Jedi and the, and the force and all of that. So I'm excited about that. I do see some similarities to things that have come before. Um, and even like the fact that like Battlefront two, the last big Star Wars game that had a campaign um, has a character that walks around with a droid on her back. And this, yes. this, this is the same kind of thing. So I was like, okay, that's a little, that's a little unoriginal, but I'm sure the character and the droid are going to be very different. Um, but the function seems very similar. I'm curious about this. That's for sure. And like a lot of star Wars things, I'm almost as curious about the fandom reaction as I am about the story. Because even if I look at this and say, the animation looks a little rushed, this looks kind of like a game from 2015, <laughs> which I'm not saying it will, but the trailer today was rough. Even if I say that, if it's solid in other ways and the fans love it, I want to hear all those conversations. I want to be able to have fun with the people that make fan art and write fanfic and make jokes. And that's what I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, definitely. And I, I can't wait to play through it. I'm just... I'm really excited about a story. I like playing through a story. I don't get into yes. the multiplayer stuff as much, uh, but I really like playing through a campaign, and that's what, with uh, Battlefront 2, that was kind of my favorite part about that game. And I know a lot of people were kind of, you know, not thrilled with, with Battlefront 2, but I really liked the story. I thought it was cool. I did too, and I agree. I, I like story-driven games best. So yeah. it was. it's good to see a lot of people have been asking for a single-player story-driven game for a long time. Yeah. yeah I think there's so much potential in Star Wars games, and it's really not being used right now, and maybe hasn't been used since LucasArts shut down, but that's a long conversation for maybe another podcast. Right, yeah. there. There's been a couple projects that kind of they started on that, didn't see the light of day and that type of stuff where you kind of got excited for some of these projects and then it went away. And so it's cool to see um, this one actually make it to the finish line almost. <laughs> yes. And ideally continue to be supported as well. 
Yeah, hopefully. What system do you play on? I play I play multiplayer on Xbox One and PS4. Okay, so you're a true gamer. <laughs> I play a lot of Destiny 2. Both of the major systems, yeah. I still Somehow uh, I became a two-system household. Yeah, I'm an Xbox One. Um, as much as I was tempted to get a PS4 just to play the, the Spider-Man game, but, but never did it. The Spider-Man game is very good. I know. <laughs> but Mandalorian, I know, had some some merchandise and stuff that they showed as well but i don't know are you are you pretty excited for that that series i don't know how i'm trying to remember kind of what things in star wars you're into are you into mandos i know there's kind of a contingent of people that are kind of anti-mando um i'm pretty neutral on them i'm cautiously optimistic about the mandalorian i'm also like you mostly into the jedi and then the military science fiction side okay that's cool yeah I'm definitely into the Jedi. Um, I actually do like Mandalorian stuff. I like the kind of the culture side of it and kind of the lore that's been built up around them, even back in the like the legend stuff. Mm-hmm. I was kind of into that. And I kind of like the direction. I know it's controversial to be a Boba Fett fan these days. It seems to, to be not a cool thing, but I still really liked Boba Fett in the, in the legend stuff and mm-hmm. kind of where they went with him. Um, and so they've really changed that character a lot in the new canon, which I don't love, but, um, but I still kind of stand by Boba Fett as a character. I still really like him and I like, I think he's really cool. So if they deliver the promise of the kind of lone wanderer character, I can, I can be on board with that. Yeah. For the Mandalorian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I'm kind of, I'm very cautiously optimistic about this series. When they first announced it, and I was really, really excited. And I remember I went to Celebration and watched the... I got into that panel and, and was able to watch that kind of the the clip that they had brought and the sizzle reel. And I, th- I think they had even done a trailer. There were like three different things they showed us. And something, kind of probably the way you were saying about Fallen Order, something just seemed off. Like something yeah. just didn't seem quite finished like the way he was walking in the armor didn't seem natural Mm -hmm. something was just a little off to me like i don't know if they're gonna be able to pull this off like is it gonna look as cool as people are expecting it to look that's interesting because i've not seen the preview footage i've seen the preview that's publicly now but i was not in that panel at celebration and i heard a lot of people say it actually looked better in that clip than it did in any of the previews that had come before that because I also feel very much that it looks like a fan film, and I'm not sure if that's because Mandalorians tend to lend themselves to fan films. The characters don't necessarily have to speak a lot. The characters don't necessarily have to show their faces. They're kind of intrinsically cool, so you do get a lot of fan films about the masked characters. I don't know if I'm only looking at it that way because I'm so used to seeing that, or because excuse me, or because there is actually something off with the production. Um, you're actually maybe the first person that I've talked to who've said that it didn't look as good in the clip as in the trailer. So that's interesting. Yeah. I'm trying to be like not a negative person about it because I, I don't want to be that person that's like, oh, it looks like crap. Like I really, really hope it's awesome and, and really want to like it. But just my first reaction, if I'm being honest, like it was a little – it was a little underwhelming when I was sitting in that panel. I was like, oh, it's hmm. not, the production just doesn't look as as good. And I think maybe some of the casting is a little off for me. 
some of the the people that they cast are almost too familiar um almost seems like there's some stunt casting going on mm. um so yeah I, I hope it completely proves me wrong and I, I just absolutely love it but i'm i'm very cautious right now to get my hopes up too much it's good to have that honesty i think because the way i usually do is if i feel neutral about something i usually don't talk about it at all <laughs> and you may have noticed i haven't been talking much about the mandalorian on twitter <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i mean i like i mean obviously dave filoni with um what he did with rebels and the clone wars and he's you know it seems to be pretty heavily involved in the mandalorian and john favreau and stuff so i, I think they're set up for success and it seems like they have a good budget and disney is definitely promoting it so you know i'm I hope it's really awesome. So we'll find out, right? We'll find out soon. Sure will. All right. Well, let's let's jump into this Alphabet Squadron review. Um, so Alphabet Squadron, publisher Delray Books, author is Alexander Freed, and this was uh, released June 11th, 2019. So we are well beyond uh, kind of our own rule of being at least a month out of release before we talk spoilers. So we will be talking spoilers for anyone that's listening and doesn't want to hear spoilers, uh, you might want to skip this part of the episode. But I'm going to read the publisher's summary, and then we can jump into the conversation. So publisher's summary is, On the verge of victory in a brutal war, five New Republic pilots transform from hunted to hunters in this epic Star Wars adventure. Set after Return of the Jedi, Alphabet Squadron follows a unique team, each flying a different class of starfighter, as they struggle to end their war once and for all. The Emperor is dead, his final weapon has been destroyed, the Imperial Armory is in disarray. In the aftermath, Erika Quell is just one thousands, or one of thousands of defectors from her former cause living in a deserted shantytown until she is selected to join Alphabet Squadron. Cobbled together from an eclectic assortment of pilots and starfighters, the five members of Alphabet are tasked by New Republic General Hera Syndulla herself. Like Erika, each is a talented pilot struggling to find their place in a changing galaxy. Their mission, to track down and destroy the mysterious Shadow Wing, a lethal force of TIE fighters exacting bloody, reckless vengeance in the twilight of their reign. The newly formed unit embodies the heart and soul of the Rebellion, ragtag, resourceful, scrappy, and emboldened by their most audacious victory in decades. But going from underdog to rebels, or going from underdog rebels to celebrated heroes isn't as easy as it seems, and their inner demons threaten them as much as their enemies among the stars. The wayward warriors of Alphabet Squad will have to learn to fly together if they want to protect the new era of peace they fought so hard to achieve. Reckless vengeance in the twilight of their reign. That's a, that's a good blurb right there. <laughs> these these Del Rey publisher summaries are so long. Like the uh, the comic ones are like a paragraph. The but the Del Rey ones are just like oh my gosh, it's still going. This is not the text on the in like this is not the blurb for the book. This is the marketing text, right? Because I, I was like so. I don't remember this because I don't I kind of look at the pages they send me but mostly i just set them aside and look at the book <laughs> yeah yeah i think i'm not sure what uh, we typically just grab whatever is marked as the publisher summary on the the wikipedia page or the wikipedia page so um 
I always assume they just pulled it from kind of whatever the marketing stuff was that was sent out. Yep, I think it's those, those, they're beat sheets basically, and they are mm -hmm. a little longer than the blurbs you'd get if you picked up the book in a bookstore. Yeah, but it's a good it's a good way to set the tone for the conversation and kind of remind readers, um, kind of of what the story is all about. And I know a lot of people actually listen to our show that um, they've said that they actually don't read the novels. They listen to the show so they can just get kind of a summary of the novel um, as, as opposed to actually reading it. So cool. Uh, yeah. So we had talked a little bit about Alexander Freed um, writing this book. Are you a fan? Um, where does he fall kind of on your favorites when it comes to Star Wars writers? Twilight Company was revelatory to me. And Twilight Company came out at a time where a lot of Star Wars books were not great, and a lot of Star Wars books were killing female characters for shock value. Mm. And Twilight Company most emphatically does not do that. It has a whole host of, of interesting women in it. It was written with a kind of precision that you don't get in Star Wars books a lot. So Twilight Company is one of my favorite Star Wars novels, period. So I had very high hopes for Freed when I heard that he was doing especially a military science fiction series because in in as far as I know from the Star Wars books that I've read, that's kind of his specialty. Yeah, it definitely seems to be his forte. And I also love Twilight Company. In fact, when we recently did kind of like a a ranking of kind of our favorite novels. Um, that one was, that one ranked pretty high for me. So, and Chalice I, Alice is so important. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of really good characters they introduced in that. And I actually have been a little bit disappointed that they haven't really shown up elsewhere or don't get that many references <laughs> or call like a lot of times you'll hear names dropped or certain people, certain characters become like fan favorites, like, you know, Ray Sloan's of the world, um, you know, or, um, there's, a, there's a handful of ones now that are kind of fan favorites, but. So if you aren't familiar with Freed's books, this will probably tell you a lot about them. So, and this is entirely non-canon. I'm not saying any information that is new canon information, but I was having a conversation with Tom over at Delray about where is Namir now? Like, is he still alive? Does he live into the sequel trilogy? Like, what's his story? I miss him. And Tom just instantly goes, oh, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is not canon. That that's, There's no legitimacy behind that. That is not canon. I will say that five times. Like, it was a joke. But it was a <laughs> great joke because that's the tone of the book. Like, they're all dead. Like, half of them have died of scurvy. Like, right. because that is the universe they live in. And I love that. But I also love them and want them to be happy. <laughs> it is very a kind of a dark and gritty look at Star Wars, um, which is actually one of the things I liked about Twilight Company, because it felt like you were actually on the ground with these soldiers and like kind of what it would really be like. And it wasn't this fantasized version of Star Wars. It was like this kind of realistic version. Um, and, you know, I and he that type of writing carries over into Alphabet Squadron as well, which can actually be a little taxing too when you want something to be a little bit more upbeat or uplifting and you're just kind of like, you read you read these books and you're getting kind of like sad about things, you know, with certain yeah, characters. Absolutely. They're, the hope in these, in these books is hard one. Yeah, definitely. 
everyone's self, there's so much self doubt going on. There's so much, you know, kind of sadness and a lot of history. Every character has some kind of tragic history. Um, there's not really, there's not like a ray of light anywhere in the, in these books. I mean, maybe there's like little moments of it, but for the most part, Mm -hmm. um, even, even up to the end is pretty dark. And I did want a little more of that in Alphabet. So I love Alphabet. It's definitely one of my favorite Star Wars books, but I did feel that it was a little too relentlessly grim. And Mm. especially for a story about a team, I wanted some moment where the team all came together and that moment never really happened. And maybe it's not meant to happen, but if it had, I would have just a little bit more hope to hang on to. And then everything else that comes later would hurt more. And I kind of wanted that to happen. And I know this is going to be a trilogy and a lot of people have been comparing this to kind of the old X-Wing series and saying like, oh, this is kind of the new X-Wing series, this is Alphabet Squadron. Um, rather, But the thing that's different, one of the big things that's different than the old X-Wing novels is kind of what you were just saying, is that it doesn't have kind of that, that um, fun element, that kind of more um, lighthearted element and the, the back and forth between the characters, almost to the point of, ridiculousness sometimes it got to be in the x-wing series um this is definitely not that you know it's a different like it's definitely about a squadron of of you know starfighters but it's definitely a different tone it's not an easy read it is dry at times it's i will never call anything unnecessarily dense but it's dense at times if you are not on board for an exploration of five characters having therapy who happen to be in a galactic war, this may not be for you. Because while this book does have the the backdrop of the war and there are there is conflict in it, there is this clash with Shadow Wing that doesn't not exist. But I think this book is really a a character study and is really about bunch of people who all have lots of problems and I love that that exists in a Star Wars book because I think it is I was trying to figure out how to say this earlier and I'm not sure I can say it right now but it is not a subversion of what Star Wars is there's nothing in this book that is like going to take Star Wars and turn it inside out and say Star Wars is bad actually and you should feel bad for reading this that's not part of it but what is part of it is, as you as you said, giving people a lot of self-doubt. None of these people think they are heroes. And if they did, it would probably be kind of grotesque. They are people who get confused and who make decisions based on incorrect information. They are people who think their goal is going to be one thing and then it turns out to be a different thing. They're, one of the things I like best about this book and about Twilight Company is that there are dead ends that are never fully opened up again. Um, in Twilight Company, there's the moment where Namir has a conversation with Han Solo and the text never comes out and says he's Han Solo. You just have to figure it out because Namir doesn't know who he is. Namir does not know he's in Star Wars. And <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> um I think Erica does know she's in Star Wars, but she kind of doesn't want to be there. And that is, uh, if you're looking for adventure, you're looking for quips, you're looking for breezy prose, all of which you can find in the X-Wing novels and all of which are part of the reason I didn't love the X-Wing novels, you're not going to find this here. Yeah. 
Um, so let's talk about the title of the book a little bit, because I know when it was first announced, it was, you know, it, you know, it was received with diff- varying opinions. Uh, what did you initially think about the title when they announced it? And kind of, do you still feel the same way about it after reading it? I did not like it when it was first announced. I've gotten used to it now. And I was immediately like, oh, it's freed. I'll read anything he writes. Like it could be called anything and I would read it. So whatever. But it's a silly title. If I think about it too much, I still think it's silly, but I don't think about it too much. It's explained in the book and like people kind of laugh at it in the book. So after that, I didn't really, it's not jarring anymore, but I can definitely see how it would be. Yeah, I I actually haven't I haven't come around on it. I when they first announced it, I thought it was ridiculous. I actually hoped that they would change it after they first announced it if they if they got enough of like a negative uh, you know, kind of backlash about it or enough people making jokes about it. They're like, "Well, we don't want people to think this is a joke, so let's let's change the title." But they didn't. They kept the same title and I've heard them really defend it. You know, I've heard people that work at Delray kind of explain why, "Oh, it's not a problem and we we really like the title." Um, but I just haven't come around and I think it's so silly and the fact that it's not just a single book, it's like a whole series. I mean, there's, there's squadrons in this book that have really cool names. It's just not alphabet squadron. (laughs) Alphabet is not one of them. (laughs) Riot squadron sounds Mm -hmm. really cool. And you know, some of the other ones that they had, but yeah, alphabet. And I know they do reference it in the book and they kind of turn, they kind of explain it and they kind of say, you know, it's kind of funny. But I just I don't think the title of your book should be a joke. That's that's just my opinion. I am not a huge fan of a lot of the titles lately in general. There, I honestly still kind of miss Splinter of the Mind's Eye. Like, <laughs> let's get some weird titles in here. <laughs> right? Yeah the the old uh yeah the old novels they did, they had a little bit more creative titling instead of oh let's write a book about uh the Black Spire what should we call it. Black Spire. Yeah. And I don't want to, I don't want to root against success. I have a feeling there's a marketing meeting somewhere where people went, no, like these titles get people to pick up the book because they know what they know who Thrawn is, for example. But I, I still in my heart, I was going to say replace the titles. That's not true. I don't like make up fake titles for books, (laughs) but I, I, I don't love the titles right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. So the, do you, have you read the tie-in comic series at all? This high fighter series? I read, oh, this is all right. I'll just say it the dramatic way. I read one issue and then I lost my job. So I didn't buy the other ones. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, yeah, I actually just read just the first few pages of, of issue one today just so i could say i had read some of it but i hadn't picked it up yet i typically wait for these to come out in a collected volume and this hasn't yet um i think it's the first five issues have been released i hope it does come out in a collected volume though because i would want to buy that there are i don't i don't know if you remember this but for a while i was like the spider-man like bring me pictures because i just wanted all the pictures of of erica from the comic because she is in it (laughs) and i still haven't seen all the pictures so i still want them on my desk (laughs) yeah um i i from what i look from what i read about this series is it actually doesn't really connect that much with the book 
in fact like the the um, shadow squadron is in the book but it's a different it's a different part of shadow squadron it's not the same pilots that show up in the novel oh really that's a little odd okay and it happens at least the one i was reading happens like after um the battle of the battle at um hoth and so it's pre endor so it's kind of like a little bit earlier but it's the only the one thing that's that's the same is the uh Nares, um grandmother is kind of mm-hmm. like, is leading the the crew so that's the one that's the one similarity huh. but the characters aren't the same so so it's related at least in i guess in the early issues i don't know if it mm-hmm. eventually catches up but at least in the early issues it's a whole different group pilot group that so. comic is by Jody Hauser, who has been nothing but good for Star Wars comics. But that is odd because I felt that Shadow Wing was not developed super well in um, in Alphabet. Yeah, I agree because they did have you know interactions with in with some of the characters from Shadow Wing, um, but they didn't. You never really got to know the characters <laughs> from Shadow well, Wing. There was that one incredible scene where um, Will talks to one of them. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of the book, it was like, you don't really need to know anything else about shadowing because that scene just holds so much weight. And you know what? It does. That's an amazing scene. But also, I would like to have gotten to know them and for them to be a little scarier throughout. Well, I thought it was funny, too, that they had like nicknames for the for the different tie fighters that that were in shadowing yes based on characteristics of those tie fighters and i just thought it was kind of odd because anytime we've ever seen tie fighters in anything in star wars there's never any kind of characteristics they all look exactly the same um and some of these things were like the one was called and i'm forgetting now was there one called like blink or something or like he because one of his yes. cannons didn't work like only one of the two cannons worked. I, yeah, I don't remember them all right now. It was all blank. something like that. Like, there was one called like Scar because he had his paint was all scraped up. I forget, there was different characteristics of the Tie Fighter themselves that was what the nicknames they gave them. But then I was like, well, wouldn't like when they got back to base, wouldn't he fix that cannon or the paint job would have gotten repainted? Like, what? <laughs> why are these characteristics sticking around? Hmm, <laughs> that's that's a good point. I just thought it was a it was funny, but um, but yeah, I kind of agree. There, they didn't really uh, they didn't let us get to know those those pilots. But maybe that wasn't the point, or maybe you know, future uh, novels because we have the whole idea of you know this is kind of jump we're jumping around big time in, in the story here. But like Soren Keys, who we get introduced to at the very beginning of the book, um, and we are led to believe that he's killed. And then at the end, it's revealed that he's still alive. And so, and is now going to be taking over kind of because grandmother was killed. So yes. maybe now that Soren Keys is kind of back in the picture, maybe we'll get a little bit in the ne- in the next novels, a little bit more from the perspective of the Empire. Yeah, very much could. And that's why I say that this is not, I mean, it is a war story, but the focus is not on the plot of the battles. And I think in, in, in a way, that's one of the weaknesses of this book. I guess 
so I never really said this, but I love this book, but I also think it's weaker than Twilight Company, and that's partially because it's too long. It's just some of it really digs, not digs in too much, but drags a little bit. And I wonder if making it a trilogy meant that things had to be padded out in the first book and that we are going to get more plot later on or whether the whole series is going to be like this, which is fine. I wouldn't complain. But I do wonder whether maybe it feels a little long because of that. It is kind of like an origin story for multiple characters. So it's like they're setting the groundwork. And then maybe the next book will be able to kind of hit the ground running now that they don't have to go back and kind of tell us the history of all of these guys. Um, yes. And I Erica think Erica has a lot of development to still do. Yes. And I think, yeah, the characters will continue to grow, but I was, I was interested to see if all of them would make it through the book. I know. I kind right? of expected at least one of them was going to not make it, but they did all, they did all survive and nobody was really even close to being killed. I mean, I guess there probably were some moments, but I never felt like anybody was in danger of not making it. They were only in danger emotionally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but one of the, one of the things that was a big part of this book and that kept coming up is uh, Operation Cinder. And this is one of the elements of the new canon that I've really enjoyed them in introducing the idea of this Operation Cinder and it, kind of has made appearances in multiple things across, you know, uh, comics, novels, video game even had a major plot point uh, about Operation Cinder. And it seems to be a big deal. It's not just some kind of little thing that's in the books and it's like, oh, that's just for the EU. Like we used to get that kind of stuff back in the day. But it seems like this could actually have an impact into how events move forward in the galaxy and lead to things that we see in the next movie. So I've, I've loved the whole idea of Operation Cinder. I wonder, I know we saw the Emperor's um, messenger droids in this book as well as in the Battlefront 2 campaign. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. This for me, I personally feel like taking this book and looking at it as how is this going to potentially inform episode seven is like seeing a beautiful animal and dissecting it. Like I don't, I just don't look at it that way as like, what does this add to Canon? Cause I'm like, what this adds to Canon is Erica Quell is the best star Wars character, <laughs> but I do uh, understand. And I thought it was interesting that Quell thinks about, the people who abandoned the empire before and after Cinder as completely different. Like there are these two pivotal ethical moments for Imperials and one of them is Endor and one of them is Cinder. Yeah. Cause Cinder really, when you think about it, it's almost like um, the emperor, his last little bratty, you know, thing, <laughs> you know, like he, he's upset that he didn't win. So he's just going to burn everything down. I know there was a longer plan, apparently you know he's you know he's basically taking it out on the galaxy but then also having a contingency plan for it to mm -hmm. to grow somewhere else it's but, somehow connected to the map on jakku and the unknown regions yeah but it does come across as a bit of a temper tantrum <laughs> but i think i think it's kind of like an accidental connection because i think the idea of operation cinder 
was something that was born in the in the extended canon and not something that they were like hey put this in here because it's going to tie into the emperor eventually returning you know because i think at this point that was something that jj hadn't even brought hadn't even thought up yet you know he was I'll be... he, he wasn't even tied to you know the the that movie at that time so i think um there will be uh, there will be convenient ways to tie in operation cinder into what happens in episode 9 but i don't think it's like an intentional storytelling thing that they've been planning out ever since the aftermath books came out mm, i'll be really curious to see if they ever do a post-mortem round table on aftermath because that's where a lot of this started yeah yeah it will be interesting to see um and this time period is always really fascinating for me anything that's like post return of the jedi because that was kind of my favorite part of the legend stuff i always loved everything that kind of happened after return of the jedi and so now that they're playing in that same space with new canon and kind of going a completely different direction with everything, it's interesting to see kind of the decisions they're making. I agree. Right now it's a little frustrating because episode nine hasn't come out. We don't know what is a red herring and what is actually a connection. But when we find out, I think it'll be really neat to go back and see what connects to what. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so who is your favorite pilot? Quill. Quill. I have I love all of them except maybe Will. My unpopular opinion is that Will is actually the most boring one. But I love Quill so much. She is so many things that I've wanted to see in Star Wars in a really long time. In mostly like an anxious, non force sensitive lady that has a lot of issues. <laughs> like <laughs> I love that. Um she is ex-imperial, which obviously comes with a lot of moral questions. She's She just kind of floated through life and accidentally ended up in the Empire, which is disturbing and fascinating and is a character study of a character who may or may not be lying the whole time is great. I like that she tends to not know how to get attached to people, which is... I think a very relatable thing and the way she thinks about herself is really fascinating to me. So Quell's definitely on the top of my list. Nath Tencent is second on my list because he's the worst and also very charming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always, I always have a hard time with characters who um, have been part of the empire and then, mm -hmm move and then become part of the rebellion or become part of the resistance or whatever it turns out being i just i have a hard time with it because it's hard to justify the actions that they took previously mm -hmm. and then be okay with them as a character it's like oh well now they're part of the rebellion so like i'm completely on board with this character um mm -hmm. and i know her story is a little bit different in that she kind of the empire was a means to an end for her because she was just trying to, uh, she was trying to get some pilot training and, and always intended to leave the empire and join the rebellion. But she stayed with them for long enough that it was kind of like, okay, she kind of knew what she was doing. She knew what mm -hmm. she was, she knew the things that she was doing and the people that were suffering because of it. And I know she struggles with that, which makes her much more relatable, but it is always something I have a hard time with. Yeah, there's there's a big difference between struggling with guilt about like 
oh, I said something awkward at a party mm-hmm. versus struggling with guilt about she was a murder, a murderer for the Empire. And she was a pilot. She wasn't like a desk person. She was a pilot. It's not an easily, it's not a hand-waved thing to be. I think um, this book could have become grimdark very quickly for maybe that reason. And then we see characters like Nath, who is a rebel and has been a rebel longer than, than Quell has been. But he's not a, he's not a good guy. Like, it's the reverse of the Wreck-It Ralph meme. He's a good guy. That doesn't mean he's a good guy. So this book could very easily have tipped over into, actually, a lot of the rebellion is bad. And, like, Namir was like that, too. Namir didn't care who he, who he was fighting for. He learned eventually why the rebellion was different, but he didn't start out fighting for any ideal or moral standing the rebellion had. And there is part of me that has qualms about that that says, if we're not going to get a good versus evil story in Star Wars, where are we going to get it? And there's also been a lot of kind of negative portrayal of the rebellion with actually these people aren't as noble as we thought they might be. Um, Freed's story uh, in from a certain point of view is called Contingency Plan and it is amazing and it is all about Mon Mothma being very human and writing basically a letter to the Empire saying, I surrender. And it's not noble, and it's not heroic. And is that an ethical issue where you really want to be able to show the Rebellion as the good guys, and these books are taking that away? Maybe. I can see how that would be argued. To me, this book never tipped too far over into either Grimdark or Imperial Apology, but I can see how it might for some people. Yeah, and... That's the trick with Star Wars and trying to have such an expansive universe is the movies have a certain language, but when you kind of go beyond the movies and the books and the comics and other things, they don't have to stick to that script as much and they can play around a little bit more with Mm -hmm. the edges of Star Wars storytelling. I would argue that Rogue One also changed that language with Saw. Yes. Yeah. Although Saul wasn't the the primary hero of that story. You know, he was True. enough of a side character that you're kind of like, okay. And they never glorified what he was doing. And the larger rebellion didn't want him to be doing what he was doing. Right. So they kind of painted him as, a, you know, he's, he's an offshoot. Um, but I think in general, um, the movies are going to stay... For now, because I think as time goes on, there's going to be more movies that are coming that they probably will play more with the edges and kind of even go completely off the map eventually um, what people expect Star Wars to be. But I think the books have a lot more room to play. And And I hope they do go off the map, but I also hope there are characters that I can continue to root for. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I'm always kind of because I'm. I'm a big good guy, light side fan. I always root on the good guys and tend to not see the good in the bad guys. Like when people are like, oh, like Thrawn is my favorite character. I'm like, what? You know, Thrawn's a bad guy, you know? And they're like, well, Mm -hmm. he's doing things because, and they always try to justify his actions and say, he's not really that bad. I'm like, no, he's an evil person. (laughs) Um, See that? Mm, That's a whole thing. (laughs) So did you like Will and Chas then? Um, I, so Will is definitely of the template that I would typically, uh, prefer a character kind of that, like 
just uh you know bright-eyed you know just good you know good through and through type character but he did kind of bore me in this book so oh good <laughs> so yeah you would he would have been the one i would have thought i would have liked um but sometimes it can those type of characters obviously can be a little bit boring so and it's not that i don't like kind of darker characters from time to time like one of my favorite characters uh from the the old comics was like quinlan Voss, who was definitely not good through and through you know he he dabbled and went completely to the dark side uh so so yeah i do like those type of characters as well but um yeah will will was kind of boring to me so who was your favorite i don't i was trying to think of that because when i asked you i was like well i'm gonna have to answer this question too um (laughs) and i don't know i have a hard time picking a favorite in this book there wasn't a character that really stood out to me that i was just like oh i'm a huge fan of this character um Uh i enjoyed parts of different characters but i could say my least favorite character uh was probably uh Kairos. Really? Oh no. There was I have too to much. Podcast, yeah, I know, so. sorry. There was too <laughs> much mystery around her that and I maybe will you know, once again, this is a first of a trilogy. So there's more to come. So I maybe eventually I'll come around. But for now, I felt like they just made her too mysterious that there I wish they would have kind of given us a little bit more insight into her character. Interesting. I liked the mystery, but I I liked it partially because I could project onto it, and mm-hmm. I think that that's part of the appeal of a character like Boba Fett too, right? Like you kind of fill in the gaps yourself if you want to. If you're not, if the character doesn't grab you, you're not going to make the effort to fill things in, and that's fine. That's a perfectly uh, like normal way to interact with something. I hope there's a really good explanation about her. Like, what is the deal? Like why, mm-hmm. why is she so um, strong? Why is she? Because not, I mean, the fact that she's strong isn't a problem. The fact that she's superhuman strong is something that I'm like, okay, there's a story behind that. Is she part robot? Is she have some kind of super serum thing going on? Like um, the fact that she's always masked. You know, we never saw her face. We don't even know if she's human. Um, it was like there, I want that to be revealed eventually. I hope they don't always leave her as a complete blank slate like that. I agree. And I think she's some kind of alien because there's that description of her voice and her voice sounds wet. It's like, uh, that's gross. What's going on here? But I'm very curious about what's going on there. Yeah. Did you listen to the audiobook at all? No. Okay. They did. What did they do with? Do you know what they did with her voice? Um, yeah, I did listen to some of the audiobook, and now I'm trying to remember. I feel like it was very droid-like. Um, it almost huh. had like a mechanical kind of uh, filter, which makes me wonder if that's maybe a little bit of an indication of okay. you know if they if they talk. I don't see. I always am curious about when it comes to the audiobooks is how much do they talk to the author and try to get insight into what do you think this character should sound like? You know, did Alexander Freed say, "Oh, she should sound robotic." Or did they just come up with that and he didn't really have a say? So I'm, I'm very curious because because of her voice, it makes me think that there is some sort of a um, mechanical aspect to her as a character and not necessarily alien. That's interesting. Hmm. So, 
now I want to go back and listen to the audiobook again just to make sure I'm not I'm saying that correctly because it's been a while since I listened to it, but I'm pretty sure it was kind of a mechanical type voice. Um, mm-hmm. I like her. I want her and Quell to be friends. Yeah. Yeah, they I mean they definitely had moments. Like so the moment where they're in the Jedi Temple and they're doing the you know, some of the backstory stuff where they they're kind of telling their stories. Yes. And they have some moments where they and Kairos did the the thing where she was kind of drawing on the ground, I think, right? With yes. sand. Yeah, that was a beautiful scene. Yeah, so like there were definitely some connection moments between the characters. But wasn't Quell not there? Didn't she sit out that whole scene? I think Quell was not there. Yeah. I yeah, which is such a so indicative of her. Like even in the moment, arguably that moment when Hera sent them to the Jedi Temple was the most bonding they ever did. Quell was not there. And that I think is very telling. I yeah. could go on and on about like when Quell got a tattoo and no one else did. <laughs> and like and like repainting the ships and she just doesn't know how to be an officer and she doesn't know how to be a friend. And she doesn't know how to be both of those things at the same time. And she knows you're not supposed to be both of those things at the same time. Mm-hmm. It's that a was, lot. That was she... the thing I could really relate with with her because of the type of work that I do and the job that I've been in. I've been working at the same company for um, almost 12 years. So I've, you know, I've gone through a lot of transitions at the company and getting into leadership roles and managing other people and just kind of that trajectory of my career in my real life. I could totally relate with the awkwardness of going from trying to be friends, but also trying to be a superior and just not completely falling flat on your face sometimes when you're trying to connect with people and the awkwardness of it. Um, I could really, really relate with her, with her because of that. I really liked that about her. Yeah. Um, it, what about the fact that uh, Harrison Dula is in this book, right? I love her. She's not in the book very much. Yeah. But she... I, I really liked the scene that we that we did get. I think there was it really wasn't possible to write much more with her because there's no idea whether she's going to be used in any other material. She is that like fan favorite character that may well appear in something else. So I think they were a little limited with her, but I really loved, excuse me, what uh, like what her appearance was and that she directed them to that Jedi temple and that she's the one who. 100% whether it's like naturally or she's trained to it like she is an expert at being both an officer and a friend yeah she's one of my favorite Star Wars characters across the board yes. um, Rebels had really I loved Rebels so much and a lot of the characters they introduced in that series I thought were so unique and I really the whole cast I really loved but specifically Hera and Kanan um, were kind of my two favorites from that cast and I really like Hera a lot. So I was so excited that she was going to be in this book. A little disappointed by her not having a bigger part, a bigger role in the book. Because they did kind of, as they were promoting this book, they did make it a point that she was going to be in it. They did, yeah. So I was kind of disappointed that I was like, oh, that was a little bit of kind of false advertising. And, you know, not, she's in it. You're right. She is in it. But uh, she doesn't play a very big role, even though they they kind of said, oh, she's the one that kind of, leads this group and really it's not 
And as you wrote in our notes, there's no mention of Jason, of her son. Yeah, no mention of Jason. I do, and I hadn't really thought about kind of what you said. It's like they probably couldn't use her because they might be saving her for other stuff, uh, which makes a lot of sense. And I think even the fact that they never named, they never said Jason's name, I think is also yes. probably indicative of the fact that there's probably some plans around those characters and they really don't want to set anything in stone right now because then that would limit what they can do with these characters in the future. Mm-hmm. They played very coy with even naming any of her old crewmates or giving any hint as to where they might be or whether they're still alive. And I think that's justified because it reminds me of that bit in, um, Ooh, what was the book that had a single tiny mention of Ray Sloan and the whole fandom was like, this is confirmation that Ray Sloan joined the first order and in fact founded the first order and actually, it could have implied that either she did or she left the First Order. And it was it was a phrase. It was seven words. And the <laughs> fandom just went, this has to mean this, and this has to mean this. So I understand not wanting to imply anything. But also for Rebels fan who did look at all the marketing and the fact that like she was on the po- the poster or bookmark. I, I don't remember what the special edition had in it, but it had some kind of artwork of Hera. I can understand why people would expect her to be in it in a larger role. Also, I need her and Quell to hug. I just want her to hug all of them, <laughs> but especially Quell. Yeah, Quell needs a hug for sure. I don't um, think she'd let anyone give her a hug. She's not there yet, but no. she does need one. Um, Will and Chas having all that con- um, conflict was a very interesting part of the book. Um, the personality conflict between those two characters. There's such far different types of characters on on either end of the spectrum. And then they, you know, the fact that Chas just had this thing that she was so mad that he pulled her out and kind of took her away from the battle. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting dynamic. I love that Chas idolizes Jin Erso and that uh, hidden yes. inside that is a little death wish. And I think that's a fascinating thing about her. And then meanwhile, Will is trying to save her. I mean, he does, he saves her life, but that like, sparks off this psychological almost affinity she has for death and that means that she has to keep pushing him away because he's life right he's like someone that is really vital and doesn't really like even um he doesn't like uh what's the word he doesn't doubt himself right he doesn't think twice really he just lives and that's very different from chas yeah definitely um and he's got kind of a tragic story just like the rest of them but the fact that he was just about to kind of get out of there and essentially retire right before stuff goes down and and sucks him back into everything Mm -hmm. so the other thing i loved about their little part is that chas had a crush on a different pilot in their unit and it never goes anywhere like it's not will and chas it's chas Mm -hmm. and this this it's not even a relationship it's like a crush that she never had time to do anything about because then the other guy died and there are very few um romantic relationships in books like this that don't go anywhere that that just 
those are feelings people have sometimes, but those two characters aren't meant to be together. And that was another case of the kind of realism in this book, I think, that I really enjoyed. So I still kind of secretly ship Chas and... um, Mm -hmm. uh, Oh my gosh, I literally just looked up his name, the alien that she had a crush on. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember the name either. I was just flipping through and I found that part and I went, oh, I liked that. It's a strange name Satanique. Satanique, yes. Satanique, yeah. Because it's the... It's almost the polar opposite of the fog of war, like people not knowing what's going on, people not knowing who they're really talking to. I think it fits right in there with that element of realistic confusion and randomness. And this book is not a realistic fiction. Like Realistic fiction means a totally different thing, but it Mm -hmm. has these realist moments that not a lot of Star Wars books have. Yeah, and I don't mind uh, relationships... Uh, romantic relationships in Star Wars, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't for me. Yeah, for sure. But I think I like it when a book doesn't. I like it when a book will, you know, just give us characters that um, work together, that are friends, that have conflict, but don't have to have a romantic element. And I kind of like that about this book because there's there's enough that, you know, enough different characters going on in this book that they definitely could have done some of that and maybe they will in future books but i i like that they didn't go that direction i know in the past sometimes i've sounded like i never want romance in fiction ever and like that's not true there are definitely couples in star wars that i enjoy although i'm struggling to think of any that are canon right now but i'm sure there are some <laughs> not a um, not a Kanan Hera fan well Kanan and Hera are sweet that's a good example i'm not like super passionate about them but i i think they're sweet i i i like appreciated that their relationship was part of the of the emotional landscape of rebels so yeah that's a pretty good example that's my personal favorite so i think uh the two relationships in star wars that i enjoy the most probably are Hera and kanan and uh uh, han and leia well i ship quell and tencent but it wouldn't be a healthy relationship no (laughs) (laughs) yeah they need to work on they need to work on themselves first absolutely that's that could be the byline of alphabet squadron they all need to work on themselves first (laughs) (laughs) well was there any other um topics or that you wanted to to bring up before we wrap up i don't think so we talked about things that Mm -hmm. we didn't talk about anything i missed no we talked about the jedi temple scene that's super important we could talked about cinder and how the end of the book kind of brings back all of quell's like cinder ptsd so i guess one thing i want to emphasize for people that have not read it but have listened to this is that this book is not all introspection there are firefights things explode it there Mm -hmm. are some action scenes too and i think the action scenes at the end really connected to the character's emotional arcs really well yeah and i like the connection of kind of how the book uh opens and how it ends and kind of what they you're kind of really left with that opening scene where she crashes and you don't really know the true whole story of what happened and we didn't really bring up ito oh Um, man that's how we missed an entire ito (laughs) a very good therapy slash torture droid right but you get that initial scene with him talking to her and she's telling the story and then at the end, he's kind of like, 
he could tell that she was leaving something out, that he was, she was lying. Um, and you know, the fact that they kind of at the end of the book, then they kind of reveal what she was lying about, that she wasn't telling the truth, the whole story. Um, I thought that was a nice, I like that they came back around and it's actually helpful if you read the end to go back and read the beginning again, just to kind of remind yourself of, of the, uh, the whole story of what happened. Absolutely. I think it's really telling that this book starts with Quell, um, giving a very detailed, very subtle lie. Mm -hmm. And the first page is full of all these details that the medical droid notices and Quell saying, I have an extremely good memory. And then throughout the book is when each character tells their backstory, they say that the, the prose says, this is the story they told. Mm -hmm. So there's this emphasis on story and whose perspective is this from and who might be motivated to lie about what with then this lots of detail that makes all the lies seem very real. And I enjoyed that. And I would love if the next book actually pushed that a little bit further and did more with the, this is the story they told and like really make that, um, a central, a running element, not just because it's an element in here, but not just an element, but more of a theme. Yeah. I never, I never thought about that. That's a good thing to call out that. I may know, have that, thought about it too much. <laughs> that line, you know, this is a story they told, you know, it's the key word there is story. You know, it's, it maybe not, isn't it, maybe it's not necessarily the whole truth or it's a version of what really happened, but it's really, it's their version of the story. Um, yeah, that's cool. So uh, where, where do you think this is going? Like with the next couple books, do you have any hopes or predict predictions of what, what they're going to do with the rest of this? I wanted it to be happier at moments. I want there to be times where these people can be friends. I want to see them making friends, but there was a tweet. Did you see the tweet from star Wars books today? Uh, maybe there was a tweet that came out today that said um, from the, the official Star Wars books account that says, hey team, we need to work on the description for Alphabet Squadron book two. Something succinct, any ideas? And the idea is book one was the happy one. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little worried about that because I do feel that this, this sequel could become so grim that the grimness gets boring. And I don't want that. I do want there to be a little bit of of happiness in there yeah and it'll be very interesting to see who of the group of the, of the five makes it throughout i i don't see this going to the end without all five of them making it to the end so i could see there being a tragic death in the second book that leads to whatever happens in the third book you know yeah for sure I'd the be, action forward i'd be very surprised if everyone gets out of this alive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, I think, um, I think we covered it for the most part. Um, what overall, I mean, it sounds like you were a, a, a pretty big fan of this book. I love this book. Okay. I actually, I but liked it. Okay. Maybe, maybe read twilight company first Yeah. and see if you like the style. Cause twilight company is shorter. <laughs> I like this book okay. It dragged for me a little bit, and I didn't connect with any of the characters, kind of like as we were talking about earlier. 
Oh man. Where I didn't really have a favorite. I there were moments, there were things I liked about each one of the characters, but I didn't have one. I always like to have at least one character in a book or in any fiction story that I really can latch onto and just kind of be like, that's who I'm rooting for. That's my favorite. And I just didn't connect um, in this first book. So Mm-mm. I'm hoping that's really important. I'm mm-hmm. hoping by the second book that I'll start to kind of connect to specific yes. characters. And I think that'll allow me to get a little bit more out of it. That That is really important. And this book was very much um, Quell is the perfect type of character for me. So I could immediately root for her and I could immediately root for Kairos because I could project so much onto Kairos without actually knowing who and what she was. So that worked uh, really well for me. But if, yeah, like I totally get it if you don't like that type of thing. And I do feel that Will and Chas were the weakest of the characters and that what what the author was trying to convey with them got a little bit muddled. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I think we're going to wrap up. Um, before we do, though, I know, Megan, you do, we had mentioned before that you uh, write for StarWars.com, but I know you do a lot of other things. Is there anything you want to share um, with the listeners, uh, things that you're working on or podcasts that you do? Sure. Right now, I work on um, various articles for Den of Geek. I'm going to have a lot of Comic-Con coverage coming up, including some Star Wars information, some Star Wars interviews. As far as podcasts, you can find my voice on Blaster Cannon, which is distributed by Den of Geek, the Voncast, which is distributed by the Tashi Station Network. Um, we're reading through the entirety of the 19-book New Jedi Order series, the last we're, we're on the last book now and Western reaches, which is kind of a grab bag of geek stuff that uh, my friend and I are into. And we talk mostly about video games. So Comic-Con you are New York Comic-Con. Yes. Are oh, you going to New York this year? I will be there. I will be yes. there. I won't, I won't be there for the entirety of it, but I will be there most of the day Saturday and up cool. for any after hours events Saturday night as well. So, I will um, talk to you more about this in detail off the air. I will say one of my favorite memories of like Star Wars community is the time you and I happened to see each other at a Harry Potter festival in like Philadelphia, right? Yes. <laughs> yep, right, right by where I live. Yeah, I went to the local Harry Potter festival, and who do I see walking down the street? Uh, but Megan, yeah, that was completely random. I'm like, who is this guy with a stroller calling my name? Yeah. And then, oh, it's Aaron. (laughs) Yep. Stroller pushing my daughter down the road. And it it was like cobblestone roads, too, because the reason why they have the festival there is because it very much kind of looks like uh, a town that you might see in Harry Potter. So the sidewalks and the roads are not very conducive to to a stroller. So. I really loved that because it was not a Star Wars event. And I mean, we both live on the East Coast, but we don't live that close to each other. So it was a nice, like, serendipitous moment. Yes. Yeah, definitely. That was very cool. So, yeah, I hope I get to bump into you up at New York Comic Con. I'll be, that's next weekend, right? So. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, hopefully we'll bump into each other. But Actually, um, too. Like, not this weekend, next weekend. Yeah. So, um, as far as bookworms go. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at SWBookworms. You can always email us, starwarsbookworms at gmail.com. Um, we're on Facebook, our Facebook group, as you guys know. And then obviously you can find us on Apple Podcasts and definitely encourage you guys to leave us a review over there. Uh, but until next time, keep on reading and may the Force be with you. <laughs> <laughs>